People's Poetry Podcast with me, Jimmy Bowman. Hello, hello. Welcome to People's Poetry Podcast, episode two of series four. How are you all doing? This is the poetry podcast that follows me, Jimmy Bowman, an aspiring poet and teacher alike, as I travel the UK talking to established poets, as well as poets who have just taken their first steps into the world of poetry, as I try to find out why it is we have just such a love affair with poetry in this country. This is a podcast aimed not just at those who already like poetry, but those who've never really considered it before. I want to show you that there's something in the world of poetry written for you. Series 4 is the first series in 2020 and what an odd year it's been so far. They certainly are unprecedented times we're living in. I'm of course referring to the global pandemic and the spread of coronavirus. However, these strange circumstances have produced some rather wonderful things, many of which involve people turning to and engaging with the arts as we've seen a boom in virtual workshops, poetry recitals and many beautiful conversations about poetry. Series 4 was born out of this positivity and although I enjoy travelling to the poet and chatting to them face to face, I've still been blessed to have four incredibly inspiring and engaging conversations via the magic of Zoom. It's also meant we've crossed over into international waters with ease for the first time in the podcast history. How about that? Well now, a historic episode for you poetry people. Our first ever international conversation with our first ever international poet it was an absolute pleasure to sit and chat to the wonderful the smiley the very positive demianta if she isn't on your radar she certainly will be after hearing this her spoken word performances are mesmerizing now i would have loved to gone back out to berlin and done this face to face alas these are strange times we're living through but Chatting face-to-face via the magic of Zoom was the next best thing. Demi's had a wonderful, wonderful journey through poetry and I really got a sense of that talking to her. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed recording it. Our second lockdown featured poet I'm very excited to speak to is Demi Anta. You're our first international poet too. Thank you for, for joining us. Yes, thank you so much. I'm really delighted to be here in virtual space with you. That's <laughs> odd. So odd, isn't it? How is <laughs> yes. um, how is lockdown in Berlin? Is it um is it strict? Uh it's kind of kind of different depending honestly which neighborhood you're in, I think. You right. know, Berlin is definitely different than other parts of Germany. Other parts of Germany are also having a bit of a harder time, I think. I think we're kind of okay here at the moment. Um, and actually some restrictions are being lifted today. So some okay. smaller shops are being allowed to open. And then at the beginning of May, we'll have, I think, even more, yeah, even more freedom to move around. But it will still be gradual. So it's a yeah. little bit confusing at the moment because it's kind of uncertain what's allowed or I not. Can, I can imagine parts of Berlin in this uh, this quarantine being really cool to wander about for your are you you're allowed to go out like once a day like we are in the uk yeah, yeah, yeah exactly we can kind of roam around and have some exercise but honestly on my street and i live in a in a fairly quiet neighborhood i'm not in neukolln or Kreuzberg where everything's like you know much more many more young people much yeah. more lively outside but even here it's yeah, it's a lot of people on the street. So I feel like people are not really, you know, abiding right. these rules. <laughs> yeah, I think, it's the same. I think it's the same in London. The further into London, you um, get, the, more, the more people I see out and about. But um, Exactly, yeah, it's a bit strange. So 
I always like to start off sort of in a, in a chronological order when I speak to a, a poet yeah, um, and sort of talk about what, what your route into poetry was and maybe the moment you were first aware of, of poetry as, a, as, you know, as an art form and, and the moment you started to write yourself. Can you remember what, where yeah. that was? Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, I have super early moments of poetry and writing in general. My mom is very artistic and always was, you know, bringing me to museums or shows or we read really voraciously together when I was a kid. And I even remember so clearly writing like one of those kind of silly acrostic poems in, <laughs> in first grade or something, you know, yeah, about yeah. Like, sunset, like sunset and then S is for, you know. <laughs> Winter and down the side, yeah. Exactly. And I think that even from a really early age, I was really into expressing myself with writing and also drawing. Like I loved to make books and draw all of the characters and pages and stuff like that. So yeah, by the time I was um, quite a young teen, like maybe around even like 12 or 13, maybe I was already taking poetry workshops Okay. where I was, um, you know, just in a community center and it would be me with a lot of lovely old ladies and they were very <laughs> encouraging to me and very sweet. And I think they found me sort of charming and precocious because I was so young but very earnest yeah yeah <laughs> and so yeah I already had these amazing sort of guides and then when I was in high school I had to do a project for my English class which basically we were allowed to kind of do anything like someone learned how to play the guitar I mean it was really open but I decided that I wanted to make a chapbook of poems so I think I think a chapbook is basically what you would call a pamphlet, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So a pamphlet basically. And I had to find someone to mentor me with that process. And I asked the woman who had taught my writing workshop, her name was Dessa Bird Reed and she didn't have time, but she recommended another woman um, who was then in her eighties. Her name was Patricia D'Alessandro. Amazing. And yeah, Patricia was an Italian-American poet um, with just such a fascinating life. Like she got divorced when she was kind of young. And so she had this, you know, reckless free life as a single woman for most yeah. of her life in a time when that was very unusual as well. And she took me under her wing and we actually became really close friends and had this beautiful friendship as like a 15 year old girl and 82 year old lady and she taught me so much in that time so I did put out um, a chapbook that was like very basic kind of xeroxed you know copies uh, and did that in high school and then she would invite me to readings and stuff like that so I already was getting to know kind of that scene in my hometown which was definitely way more older people mm. And I'm from um, Southern California, by the way. So I live in Berlin, but uh, my family's German and Austrian, but I grew up in the U.S. in like near Palm Springs, basically okay. next to Coachella where that happens. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there's not much of a cultural scene <laughs> there <laughs> aside from Coachella and, you know, sometimes some nice arts festivals and stuff. But I did get to know a lot of older poets and they were all super encouraging to me. Yeah. And then, Eventually, I did enroll in college and enrolled as a literature student originally, but I kind of 
was on a dual path doing visual art and literature and also a lot of performance and eventually dropped the literature major because I just couldn't finish it by the end of the four years and I had kind of lost my my willingness to do so and my enthusiasm for it. I was still writing a lot, but I definitely got pulled way more into the into the art program, I would say. Yeah. That's such a nice route into poetry. Not normally, especially with us British poets, you say, Well oh, some horrible stuff we were forced to read at school. <laughs> Uh, so that's nice to hear well, and to do the same i think you know but i i guess i was maybe just already more nerdy about it and more willing to no, yeah this is wicked <laughs> so you're a poet i've been aware of for some time on on instagram and i'm finding these days instagram's quite a, a, a decent breeding ground for discovering poets but it's only recently that uh when i emailed you i said i'd read um the end of dance yeah yeah which is so funny it's quite an old work for me as well yeah so i had to reread it a couple times this week to prepare <laughs> in case we so, so my understanding is there are poems that you wrote throughout your ba your time at university college actually they're even earlier even earlier that. okay so, yeah i think i so i took a poetry class and part of the class was that we were encouraged to put out a chapbook by the end and I went a little bit crazy. Actually, I have it so you can see what the actual, what the original book looked I was, like. I was going to ask you, yeah, because you said about them, um, and it's in a, a permanent collection at, at the university as well. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I handmade the book. Um, That's cool. And they're like stitched on the side, and you know, everything was very painstakingly cut by me <laughs> at my mom's kitchen table over a winter break, I think. Awesome. And they were an edition of 50 copies um, with, yeah, not, it's not too long, you know, it's about 20, 25 pages, but yeah. So we were encouraged to do that within this class. And I think that the class was actually at the end of my first year in college. So they were mostly poems, a couple that I had written that year. So when I was like 19, Mm-hmm. but many from high school actually which is so crazy to look at now like they're mostly about a relationship that I had in high school with my sort of first very serious boyfriend so I was gonna I was gonna say um so was it 2019 you re-released this digitally if you like with the audio exactly yeah. I mean what was what was the you know what made you re-release that because it how was it looking back at poetry that is, you know, that early on in your, your sort of writing career, if you like, it must, it must be an odd thing to read back. Yeah, it's such, it is an, a really interesting sensation. Well, first I re-released it because I did, I do have this very long history in poetry, but there were also some years where I didn't write at all. And that kind of happened around the time that I left like when I graduated um, in 2014, I was still involved in a spoken word class in school. That's the other thing. I got very into doing spoken word, which was through a class at my college. And once I kind of finished and didn't really have an outlet for it anymore, also my interests were changing. I was getting more interested in doing work in the film industry. And that's honestly where I thought I would go. I thought I would come to Berlin for like a year, have this kind of living abroad experience and connect with my German roots and then move back and probably move to LA. And then that didn't happen at all. And Mm. I stayed and I just didn't really write during this time. It was a really um, sort of uncreative time, which is quite sad for me when I look back on the first couple of years living here. I think I was just going through a lot, transitioning to living somewhere else and just in my personal life as well. 
Mm. And um, so, yeah, the reason that I decided it would be nice to bring it back out last year is because I finally started writing a lot again around 2017, 2018. And I realized that I had all of these new friends and people I knew here that didn't know the side of me at all. And, you know, friends would come over and kind of just thumb through my bookshelf and see the book and be like, what is this? And really kind of startled by that. And it was really strange to realize this thing that was so part of me, my friends here had no connection to. Yeah. So that's why I decided because I couldn't remake it physically, but I think it is a good book and there's some, you know, oh, not, not that it's all so relevant to me now, but definitely I think there's some really nice things in there. So it's, it was nice going back through it and revisiting and, you know, I'm sure you've had this too, since you're also a writer, that sometimes you write something and you pick it up after months or maybe even years and you're sort of like, whoa, I wrote that. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. a really nice feeling. I think, I think mine was the opposite. If I ever find anything I wrote. Oh, no. <laughs> when I was in sixth form, I wrote that. That's oh, cringe. But yeah, I mean, to have, have poetry that, that still sort of has legs, as it were, in 2019 is amazing. Yeah. Three poems that I thought the imagery was amazing in with uh, tree fingers of irises i really love and shuffle burn i just thought it was great because it was you could do it like the, the teenage angst sort of oozes out of that poem um, yes i think those are my three favorites as well <laughs> yeah and it, it makes sense that they were written at that stage of your your writing career i suppose but yeah absolutely yeah they were i was really in mourning for a long time over this like first yeah like high school sweetheart basically so a lot of it is about that tree fingers was about then my like first college boyfriend you know who was also a, a writer and a poet actually which was kind of fun but the imagery yeah. in that poem tree fingers is is incredible really i mean i, I certainly wasn't thinking along those lines at that age i, I, I developed oh. it, as it were <laughs> um yeah so if anyone hasn't read it it's, it's available online and you get the audio with it don't you that's right yeah. yeah and yeah i did a recording with a friend of mine here who's a recording artist and so if you download it you get an ebook version and then also um recording of me reading it but you can also find the recording online for free so if people are <laughs> interested well, they can just with, check out We'll have to play a few bits of yours after the, the chat anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the stuff, obviously, I had seen of you uh, was on YouTube, and I, I'll talk about that in a second, but you kindly sent me over some bits of Bob, some links. I've come to the conclusion, are you, are you familiar with the Kinks? The Kinks, the band? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've decided you're, you're the Ray Davis of the poetry world because... Oh, my God, what a compliment. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Like your, some of your poems are really like conceptual and I love the ideas behind them. But then I always feel like I'm sat listening to, I don't know, like a primary school teacher telling a story again. It's great. Like you are oh. a, a natural storyteller. Thank you, you. I appreciate that a lot. You've got such a range of themes as well. So I was going to ask you, because some poets tend to concentrate on a particular theme and that's almost their niche. But, you know, every mm -hmm. poem I, I read from the links you sent me, especially covered something really different from the net. Is there a certain theme that you're ever drawn to perhaps more than others, do you think? Is there a, a reoccurring theme? Yeah, I was thinking about this because I was curious what you've seen. And I think, you know, like the end of dance is obviously just one kind of section of what I was doing back then. And I think it basically revolves almost entirely around relationships. I think that relationships are still a very prominent part of my yep. work and exploring 
heartbreak especially it tends to be something that um i'll say motivates me to write <laughs> yeah. for better or worse yeah yeah and uh so that's very present still but i think a couple other things that come up a lot that maybe are, that you haven't seen because uh, i think a lot of these poems are more recent and just haven't been put into the world yet actually are mental health and also family i'm really interested in generational exploration you know and understanding families and i have a very complicated family i mean who doesn't but yeah um, especially yeah coming back to berlin which is where my father's father was born my father was stationed here actually as an american soldier in the wow. 70s at i don't know if you're familiar with Tempelhof. you said you know berlin yeah, yeah, yeah the big airfield that's now a park so yeah. he was there before it was a park <laughs> And um, yeah, and my mom, you know, being in Austria and her family there, being a little bit closer to me now. I'm, I'm just really interested in exploring that and exploring those connections. And, and I think that also feeds into, in a way, the relationship stuff, because I think the idea of the role of women in the world is really important to me as well and kind mm. of connects to all of those in some sense. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, I saw on Instagram, you, you've posted about uh you know why it is you moved to, to berlin it's really interesting family history but that one of the poems you sent me i'm not even gonna attempt to say the word because i'll do it dishonestly but it's freckles it's german freckles yes. ode, ode to freckles ode, just... to, ode to summer sprossen see i would have butchered that completely <laughs> i mean that that's that's sort of embracing uh, the german language but sort of a nod yeah. to your, your heritage as well isn't it that Exactly, yeah. Because I think German is beautiful and that whole poem is about uh, about how German has this reputation as this really harsh, ugly mm -hmm. language. Like there's that really funny video of people saying butterfly in different languages and it's all like so soft and lovely and then you get to German and it's like Schmetterling. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. German has a reputation for always being yelled but i that's not my experience at all you know germans are very particular people and can be difficult like definitely there there are some truths to all of the cliches and things but but i think that yeah my experience of german is kind of much softer and especially growing up going to austria a lot and hearing german around me and the austrian dialect which is also very particular and lovely and really funny yeah, I have really nice associations with it and I've become so much more, well, better at the language, first of all, but also closer to my family since moving here. It does make me sad to think that maybe I won't have this at some point if I leave, which is a very real possibility. And I, I think it's also important to show a different kind of growing up, which I didn't really know so many people who had a similar thing when I was growing up, you know, that you grow up with two languages or two cultures and very close to it mm -hmm. close to two cultures and you see yourself as more part of the world instead of just an american or that you are you know from england or from austria or whatever like you see the connections between these places yeah and to grow up also understanding two languages and being able to communicate that way like my mom and i usually talk back and forth a lot where we usually speak in English, but sometimes we'll just kind of switch into German or say a German word or something. And that's super comfortable to me. And I really like being able to do that here. So I think 
being able to incorporate German into my writing as well is really nice. And here it totally works because even expats at least know a few words. So usually yeah. pretty much everyone in the room gets it if you do that, which is a really cool thing about performing in Berlin and it being so multicultural. But, um, but I would really like to kind of share that experience. I think many more people actually can relate to that experience than what we might think. Mm. So I love the idea of art that explores that kind of thing no it, it, i loved it and it it made me a jealous that i can no longer speak oh. any other language i mean there's always time <laughs> there is always time i've always wanted to learn german but i think i had french and spanish for my options and i learned spanish and then i, I dropped it in a level it just got too much yeah um, that's and, okay i i wish that I, i'm really envious i have so many friends like unbelievable they can speak so many languages and mm. it makes me feel so depressed <laughs> Uh, you know when I'm teaching classes at school and you've got these kids who have English as an additional language and they're just so fluent in both you think wow it's amazing. amazing I could barely yeah. do maths at your age and you're <laughs> there speaking that if I had a family history like you did um, I would definitely be writing about that as well because mm. again I'm not I'm not in that department we've traced our family back so I think like 1700s and we're still in London I have the least exotic wow. family but that's amazing too that's also crazy i mean what a place to have history as well you know i, I think that the highlight of our family tree is that someone lived door, next door to mary kelly one of the jack the ripper victims that was oh no. it's about as exciting as it gets for us but another poem that i, I saw on youtube i think i think it might have been last year perhaps was you and i which is mm. incredible but you, you can't take your eyes off of the, the screen watching it. I, I can only imagine, because it was Bristol that was recorded, was it? The, yeah, that was in the Bristol Old Vic. Watching it, you feel like you're in the room. It's, it's, and it's very cathartic that way. It's, it's, it's raw, it's uh, sort of melancholic and powerful. I mean, talk me through that. that I mean, how long did a poem, and that's, I think it's about six minutes long, that spoken it's piece. It's quite long, yeah. I think it's maybe even six and a half. They can, they tend to get longer as I perform piece for a while as well, because I think when you first perform, you're like really nervous and you kind of rush through stuff. Mm. And I'm, you know, always trying to improve the performance side of my work, because I think I have more of a training as a writer and less as, let's say, an actor. And I am really trying always to build that skill. And I think a big part of that is learning to slow down to take space yeah um and so that is happening and all of my pieces seem to kind of stretch <laughs> and elongate over time especially if i don't have to do them for a slam you know then yeah that i really take my time and it's really nice but that piece i'm glad that you brought it up because it's definitely super important in my personal journey as a writer as well like it's it kind of changed my life in a way because basically so i explained i stopped writing for a while i wasn't mm -hmm. really in this world for the first couple of years that i was living in germany and in 2018 i basically just had the worst year of my life i went through a really horrible time everything in my life kind of fell apart right. at once like i was dating someone for six years this relationship ended I started dating someone else right away. This was like a catastrophe. I left my job. I had to move house on my own. Like I, it was horrible. And, and I was suffering from the mm. poorest mental health ever that, you know, I didn't realize that I could go so low as I did in that time. The 
positive side <laughs> of all of this is that I started writing again a lot, like voraciously writing, because I think I just didn't know what else to do. It wasn't even, it wasn't even like thinking, oh, I'm going to write this poem and then I'm going to perform this poem and then I'm going to go and do spoken word stuff again, because I was really into spoken word. I was like super into this class, doing lots of shows, performing at a fairly high level, I would say for like a college student when I was in college. Yeah. But I kind of just gave everything up and I didn't really think I missed it, but I didn't think that there was a future in that. And I didn't really ponder how I would get back to doing it so much. And I, I wasn't in the scene here either, really in Berlin. So I was writing without any plan. It just was like so important for me to express these things in that moment. I think that's kind of the best thing you can hope for because then you don't have pressure on yourself of feeling like this poem has to do something in particular or yeah. achieve a certain goal. So that's what that piece was. And so, yeah, exactly. That piece is about this breakup with my long-term ex and um, all of the things that you ask yourself when a long relationship ends and wondering what was even the point of this all, you know, and all of these hard things and like questioning myself just as much, I think, about the decisions that I had made that sort of led there and what now. And after I wrote that piece, uh, I was rewriting it for quite a long time. And there was a period where, I mean, I hadn't really shared it with anyone. I think I maybe maybe recorded it and shared it with like two friends, just like, oh, hey, look, I wrote something, you know? Yeah. But every month I was kind of writing, like giving it a completely different ending <laughs> because every month after the breakup, I felt completely differently about it. Like at mm. first I was, it was way more sort of vicious and kind of accusatory towards my, my partner. And then, you know, as time passed and we are still very good friends i'm very glad to say but i i my perspective really shifted and then i missed him so much because he left berlin and so it got a lot more soft i think at the end and more balanced but it did take uh, quite a long time like many months i think before i felt like it was locked in yeah and then um i eventually did perform it just at an open mic here that's actually more of a music open mic it's kind of my home open mic and uh friends were really encouraging i know the host and he was like hey yeah just get on stage just do it like go for it you know and finally i did and it went really well and i kind of got the buzz again the adrenaline yeah, yeah, yeah. rush of performing and connecting with people and friends you know friends approached me and said I've never seen that side of you before like basically they didn't know that I was capable of that which is a super interesting thing I think about performance in this journey I had just really lost my mojo you know I wasn't mm -hmm. capable of that I wasn't someone that you would have thought oh yeah she can go and talk in front of people and do this like I had become kind of this very sad shell of who I had been before yeah. so it was amazing to like feel that power again and it really helped to lift me out of this depression as well it was like a huge part of healing from this yeah. and and then eventually I performed it again at the same open mic and a friend took a video on his phone and then I found out that Glastonbury's poetry tent had an open call for poets. And I sent that and a couple of older pieces, just honestly really thinking, well, 
they're there, pat on the shoulder. At least you tried, but mm. you know, maybe next, maybe better luck next time, kid. And then I was accepted and I was absolutely in shock. But this really was the thing that kind of sparked me to come back into writing and to taking myself seriously as a writer again. So I'm really thankful for this poem. That's, you know, that's why it's still it's, remains very powerful to me. It's, it's a brilliant poem. You feel like you're inside your mind. Uh, you know, you, you, start, you run down so many different alleyways of thought about this sort of breakup and this relationship. And I can, I can fully understand why the ending would have changed so much and it would have taken time. Because you can always feel the confusion in the poem still. Um, yeah. <laughs> even though it's got it's got an ending and you are venting through the, the poem you can still feel the confusion i was going to say I, I think i saw again on your instagram that 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 was the springboard if you like to glastomy so is it is it right that you, you'd never actually played in the uk before that yes yeah, so actually so amazing. the recording yeah it's crazy it's amazing. the recording of that poem was at the bristol old vic through um blah 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 which is a poetry spoken word production company based there and they do a showcase of the Glastonbury poets. So technically, that was my first show in the UK. Right. It was right before the festival. And then I stayed in Bristol a couple of nights, then went straight to the festival. And those were my second and third shows in amazing. England, which was amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I'm finding um, since I've started this podcast, obviously, I, I like to travel. I can't at the minute, but I like to travel to the, the poet. Yeah. So I can sort of see the area. And Bristol's one of the places I've sort of been to twice now for the podcast. It seems yeah. to be a really nice sort of a poetry scene in, in Bristol. Yes, I think so. I mean, I didn't get to meet everybody there, yeah. but there were quite a few Bristol poets who then were in Glastonbury. And yeah, it was it's really cool. I think there is definitely a huge scene. Sounds like there are many open mics and things going on on and regular feature shows and stuff yeah awesome yeah so we got to talk about glastonbury really then i mean yeah. how, how, how was how was performing glastonbury were there any other poets that you discovered there that you saw you said you you live near coachella have you ever been to coachella how does glastonbury compare to that i mean i know you didn't play coachella but i imagine they're, they're vastly different yeah oh man i don't even know where to start with glastonbury <laughs> it was amazing it was mm absolutely one of the most special experiences of my life and I would say not even necessarily the performance aspect which was really cool and I I was working really hard towards it so I was working with a friend who's an actor and getting you know rehearsing and getting feedback to really fine-tune my performances beforehand and the performances were great and it was great to see so many other poets as well but i would say that it was like way more about everything surrounding the performance than right, yeah. the performance itself so the thing about festivals and doing poetry at festivals is that well first of all it's very different in england and i guess across the uk and ireland as well i was really surprised to know that or to find out that music festivals also have poetry because that's not the case in the u.s coachella okay. does not have like a poetry tent you know right. there is lots of like cool kind of art stuff and crafts and kind of activities and things like that and smaller stages obviously and i have been many times to answer that question that was definitely <laughs> a big part of my upbringing you know right. from yeah. 15 to 22 or whatever but yeah the idea of having spoken word at a festival was shocking when i came across that listing for glastonbury i was totally surprised you know and delighted obviously yeah. so it's that's a really unique phenomenon from this part of the world and i think it's amazing but the the thing is and different festivals are different i think 
obviously some of them poetry might be a bigger draw and there might be a more attentive crowd also but you know Glastonbury is huge it has so many stages there's so much to see so there's an amazing tent and amazing performers but it's not necessarily going to be full all day yeah no of <laughs> course also yeah you're competing with so much sound as well it's really uh, a little bit disturbing when you first get on stage because you're like is that in my head? Where is this music coming from? Especially, you're used to really quiet audiences as well. Exactly. Yeah. Like it could not be more different from performing in a theater, you know, where all eyes and all attention is really on you. Instead, you have kind of a sea of hungover faces yeah. <laughs> staring yeah. at you. Yeah, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm, I'm complaining about it. It was amazing, you know, and there are definitely people who are not hungover. They're very into it. And I made amazing connections with audience members who I still, I still like write emails with and stuff, you know, who were super, super into the poetry there. But I imagine yeah. there's, there's a healthy amount of Brits that stumble in drunk and go, what the, <laughs> sure. what the bloody hell is this? <laughs> As there's well. a little bit of a, yeah, heckling, uh, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> No, but it was awesome. And I think the other, yeah, aside from obviously exploring the festival, which is amazing and just like huge, it's like its own city, you know. It is, yeah. I don't, I mean, I'm sure you know, but it is notoriously incredibly difficult to get a Glastonbury ticket. Yeah, uh, I know. I mean, before it was canceled this year, I knew quite a lot of friends who had gone every year and they didn't manage to get a ticket this year for some reason. Yeah. So, yeah, I was very lucky, obviously, to have a, a back way in i managed to get a ticket once and i gave it up uh, because oh, I, no. I, I just got into a new relationship so I, I i was trying to look good and um uh, part of me thinks well i'm never going to get to go now because now i'm a school teacher that's during glastonbury so i don't know what i'm going to do uh, uh, <laughs> what what we do for love such such stupid <laughs> So yeah, Glastonbury, I think that was the year uh, Tony Walsh played as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I listened, well, I've listened to all of your interviews now, actually. But <laughs> Thank I really, you. Yeah, I really enjoyed Tony Walsh's interview. And I have to say, sadly, he's not one of the poets that I saw. But I didn't really know his work, you know. So uh, I was really coming into the English scene totally fresh. Yeah, so. yeah. I knew a couple of Irish poets, one of whom was there. And then I became friends with a couple of poets in Bristol who then were there and we really hit it off. So yeah, you asked like about the kind of community and stuff around it as well. It's really cool because all of the poets camp together behind That's the cool. stage. Yeah. So you spend the morning like making your coffee and your oatmeal and talking shop gossiping like man it was amazing it was so cool to get to know everybody that way but yeah unfortunately tony walsh was also headliner so they go on a little bit later right yeah, yeah. in the day and it competes with a lot of music acts of course so i forget what was on but i unfortunately didn't see him but i really hope that i get a chance to someday. if you ever when this is all over and the uk is open again but if, yeah. if you ever uh over there's a festival called latitude which is quite a big one yeah that's 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 I heard it's amazing geared slightly more towards literature but they do have music as well you sort of mentioned the difference between glastonbury and uh and coachella as festivals mm -hmm. but 
I mean, I've been to Berlin. I absolutely love Berlin, as I said to you. Um, yeah. I've, I've been a few times, but I, I've never been California. But are, the, are the poetry scenes quite different? You've mentioned how Berlin's got quite a multicultural poetry scene. What's mm. How does that compare with the, the Californian poetry scene? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't, I think, performing enough in the U.S. to give a full view of... Um, when I performed, it was mostly in Santa Barbara, where I went to school and did my BA and where I took this amazing class, which I have to shout out Kip Fulbeck, who's the teacher, and he's also an amazing artist in his own right. But it, he teaches this spoken word class that really turns non-performers, non-artists, non-writers, shy people into these stunning performers at the end of 10 amazing. weeks, which is incredible. Yeah. And I TA'd for him many times as well. So I got not only to experience the process, but then to also watch it occur and unfold with lots of students over these four or five years. Yeah. So I was really involved there and we put on lots of showcases and things. We also got to see really, really great, uh, more you know, American spoken word artists who are more known there, came through Santa Barbara a lot and did a lot of shows at the school, which was very lucky. And we usually got to meet them and talk as well. But... I was not performing in LA. So I think LA, you know, any bigger city definitely has more yeah. of a scene. And I know for a fact that there are, you know, still these big kind of poetry gatherings and a lot of slams and stuff too. Slam is still very popular there. And so in, in big hubs like metropolitan hubs, you have it. But even in s- smaller towns, I have a friend here who's from Texas originally, Ariel Cottingham, and she was telling me there's, you know, in Texas, there are also many scenes, but it's a little bit more spread out. And I think that that's kind of the key and the, the reason that spoken word maybe doesn't have as much of a foothold, like a popular foothold, as it does in England, for example, or even in Ireland. Because my impression, at least, is that in the UK, you kind of have a spoken word night in every small town, like in tons of places, you know, mm. compared to the US, it's not like that at all. You don't only have to go to London to see things like this. And so poets can really tour, they can really go to like dozens of cities with their collections and touring new shows, touring even theater shows, which is really cool. Whereas, you know, everyone's so spread out, like the US is huge, California, yeah. it takes, it takes 12 hours to drive from my hometown at the bottom to San Francisco. And San Francisco is not even at the top of California. You still have another wow. half of the state, basically. Yeah. You know? And so, yeah, it's, I think it's just not really feasible for poets to tour like that, especially when there's not that much money involved in poetry. At yeah. so when you're paying your own way a lot, which... That was certainly true for me last year. I did come to the UK and to Ireland a lot to perform, but I'm still pretty much paying my flights and stuff. So it's an investment, you know, it's an investment to get to do the networking that is required and to also do what I love, which is performing and meeting people and doing all this. But yeah, I think it's just kind of hard in the US. So we don't have that same infrastructure for it. Yeah, I think I think especially over here we forget sometimes how how vast the US is as well. Back to some of your works, a poem that you sent me through, and I, I'm genuinely obsessed with this. Is uh ten years ago he yelled my name. Oh, <laughs> that was so, so, can you talk to uh, for anyone who hasn't read it just a little bit about it because I thought it was such a good 
good concept, but again, it had those storytelling qualities that, that sort of uh, synonymous with your work. Yeah, definitely. I just pulled it up so I can look at it as well. <laughs> as we talk. That's an advantage, I guess, of doing this over, over Zoom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this was also written about, um, <laughs> he's like really getting a lot of mileage today about the same boyfriend I had in high school. And this idea, yeah, I mean, he, I remember when we were still on speaking terms <laughs> that he said at some point, oh, yeah, we should really meet every 10 years, you know, no matter what, we should do that. And it's kind of funny looking at it now, I think, and revisiting that poem, because in the time of Corona, I've, I don't know if you've heard this, but I think there are a lot of stories of people reaching out to exes and sort of mm. you wonder, what is this person doing? And, even someone that maybe you had a really negative experience with, you kind of soften towards them maybe and want and get curious. Yeah. You know? So I feel like this poem kind of addresses that in a way, even though it was written much earlier than this situation. But yeah, it's and it's also about seeing similarities between someone that I fell in love with back then and then someone that I encountered much later in a totally different environment, you know, who is a totally different person, but still I can recognize these kinds of qualities within yeah. that the other person had. Yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoyed that. And this sort of idea of love just rearing its head up every 10 years. It, it's a bit David Nichols one day with that line, you sort of think, because that's written mm. chapter by chapter. I think that's once a year, not every 10 years. Mm. But, and then the other one you sent me through, did you hear about your mum, which, um, which is, is, again, even though it's not not like a light subject that uh, matter in in that poem, mm. it's still got this sort of storytelling element to it. That there's there's some really sort of nice parts to it and some pleasant images, but then there's these sort of uh, saddening undertones, isn't there in, in in that one? Yeah, definitely. And I guess I just wanted to mention also the two poems that we talked about um, ten years ago and. Summer Sprossen are in the Punch magazine, so I give them a shout out because Here these are go. online actually, so they're, yeah. they're findable. And then, did you hear about Mom? Is in the Selkie, which is a really nice um, online magazine based in Scotland that a friend of mine was the poetry editor for, and kind of solicited this poem for me, which was quite nice. She is doing; she does a lot of editing for me, and she I sent her this one, and she's like, "Fine, I'll look at this one too, but you have to let me publish it." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but it's actually I think it's my favorite poem of my poems, certainly of the page poems as well I don't really I think I might start performing this more as a like spoken word piece like actually reciting it I do read it sometimes when I'm out but I just really love it I think well for me good writing is all about details and images and specifics so I feel like this poem really packs in yeah. a lot of moments again from this very treacherous time where I was really trying to just I don't know, survive this heartbreak and this pain. And I did that by traveling a lot and kind of just trying to get out of my environment. And so there are lots of these little snapshots. And it was also inspired by the idea of when you look at, you know, old photographs, like really prints of your parents, especially your parents, maybe before you were born or when you were very young and you see these young people and you're like, wow, 
they were like me, that's crazy, you know, and it's really hard to even mm. connect that in a way. And I really love taking photographs as well. So I shoot a lot on a just really basic analog camera, especially when I'm traveling. So I have lots of photographs from all of these travels in the last few years. And I love the idea of eventually maybe my children looking at these pictures and thinking about me in this way. And I think that writers have a particularly interesting situation dilemma maybe I don't know because we're we're the record keepers you know we're keeping records of if not of our lives then of the lives of people around us and the world yeah. around us and that's a very interesting thing like that's a legacy that you then pass on to your children as well so I think there have been so many stories of you know writers and then their kids are growing up and reading and sort of discovering a different side of their parents through reading their writing and that parents sometimes there's some trepidation about this as well depending what kind of life you led or what you were yeah. writing about you know when is your child old enough to know <laughs> these things about you um yeah so i just i really like that idea and i'm i'm really pleased with that poem i it, it just still means a lot to me it reminded me, um, I don't know if you've read uh, Caroline Duffy, Before You Were Mine. It, it was a similar sort of thing. She's in that poem. She's looking at an old photograph of her mum okay. uh, and starts talking about, you know, her mum out dancing in the ballroom and things like this and how she was uh. just a shy teenager. But yeah, it was really, really nice. Really nice poem. So in terms of your writing process, I'd like to ask about, because I think you know everyone has a, a unique sort of way of uh, approaching poetry and how they write it do you have much of a process i've seen a video on youtube where similar to me you said uh, you're a procrastinist it's the get the getting going that's the <laughs> hardest bit and I, I agree fully with that statement but it, when you do get going or to get yourself going do you have uh, any sort of process you try and follow i've seen a lot recently which i think you spoke about as well about this i've seen it called free writing but i think you mm -hmm. you, you called it uh, the morning pages was it julia mm -hmm. cameron and i actually had a go at that for the first time during this lockdown and it is amazing but i thought it would be better coming from someone who's done it more than once to sort of <laughs> explain maybe what what the benefits are of writing just a stream of consciousness for example there's lots of yeah. questions I've just asked you there. I'm going to shut up. But <laughs> no, it's good. It's given me time to think about <laughs> the best way to answer. Well, Morning Pages is something, as you said, it came from the writer Julia Cameron. She wrote a very famous book called The Artist's Way, which many people, I mean, it's, it's something that we study in school. It's very popular method for not only writers, but lots of different artists to get back in touch with their creative selves and to produce more work as well. So there's a proper way to do morning pages, which I've never done the official artist way full on plan. I think it's a book that covers about three months of time and you do different activities every day. But one of the steadfast things during this time is that first thing in the morning before you do anything else, you get up and you write three pages. It should be longhand as well. And then eventually you go back and you read over the pages and you kind of circle and find things that stand out to you, that are interesting to you. But you can use the morning pages to do whatever you want, really. You know, I've done it in period. I'm not doing it now, full disclosure, but <laughs> I've done it in periods where it was more like a diary, um, which is quite cool to have now because I feel like I have a very, I'm also really interested in writing more 
memoir. So it's nice to have a record of that time and what mm. I was thinking about. But you can also use it if you have a specific creative project that you're already working on and you want to say, okay, I'm going to explore this character for these three pages today, or I'm going to, I have an idea for a poem. I'm just going to try to work out the poem. But um, I think in general, part of the concept is also stream of consciousness kind of writing, writing where you write without lifting your pen from the page and you just keep scrawling and you don't worry about what's coming out and uh, you don't worry about grammar or spelling or whether it sounds like the stupidest thing that anyone's ever put down on paper. <laughs> you just keep writing because it's just for you. You know, there's no pressure to ever show it to anyone. And um, I'm also teaching a class at the moment. Well, it's on pause because of the whole situation that we're in right now, but yeah. it's a class for people who don't consider themselves to be writers, but would like to be writers. Uh, and this is a big thing that we talk about a lot because I think a lot of people have trouble unlocking this thing in themselves because they put so much pressure on themselves. And especially if you're a really avid reader and you have good taste and you are interested in, writing a certain way and you love certain writers but you feel like you can't achieve that level that's yeah. so much pressure on someone i think yeah. it stops a lot of people from doing any kind of writing so that's why i think this kind of like to set a timer even and do little you know write from a prompt for 10 minutes 15 minutes is really helpful i also have been doing the national poetry month challenge this month of writing a poem a day and I have not written a poem a day. I was pretty good about it for the first couple of weeks, but I'm still writing so much more poetry than I was a yeah. couple months ago. So this is really cool. So I found that that um, <laughs> to come back to part of your question, like what my personal process is, sometimes I'm thinking more in terms of poetry and sometimes I'm not. I feel like the last few months of the year, I was writing a lot more creative nonfiction. And like I said, more memoir kind of writing yeah and um my poems are very narrative and i really believe in storytelling in my work especially my um, spoken work uh, as you pointed out as well like that's something that i think about really consciously and i i care quite deeply about so to me it's shifting between memoir and poetry makes sense and i'm always kind of back and forth um, but it's really nice writing so many poems and having the task to write a poem every day has really changed my brain. So now I'm walking around on the street and I see a bird and I'm like, I'm going to write a beautiful <laughs> bird poem now. <laughs> you know? And you just start to really like switch gears. But normally when I'm not so attuned to that, I have a very kind of casual way of writing. I don't really set aside an amount of time to write every day, though I think I would benefit from it. I think it's yeah. good for people to do. I'm more so just, you know, I'll be moving through the world, let's say, and some something hits me, usually a line, and then I could just kind of follow this train of thought and when it starts to get really good is when I have to drop everything I'm doing and find a pen or, you know, laptop immediately and try to recreate it as much as I can and all of this. And usually I might think, oh, I'm just going to sketch down some ideas for this poem or a couple of lines. But typically if I'm already in it, then I write until yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's done, quote unquote. But then of course it goes through so much editing and I definitely have pieces that 
I'm still trying to edit and fix after a year or two years of originally having this idea, you know, and sometimes you also just have to put something away and like forget about it for a while. <laughs> yeah. I feel like a problem I have is that I, I try to write too many different things at once sometimes and then you just yeah. end up putting them all away <laughs> and getting nothing done. I, I don't know. I think it was you on, on one of the YouTube things I watched. It said that you, you were writing a TV script at one point or, or something to do with TV, which is yeah. some, something I've been doing more than poetry perhaps in the last um, oh, cool. yeah. sort of six months. Writing poetry, do you find it's helped you sort of with other writing endeavours because poetry is so mm. concise? Do you think it's made other areas of your sort of writing canon have they benefited from from the, the poetic side i'm laughing because my i feel like my poetry is not at all concise <laughs> <laughs> well, and i as a person am not a concise person <laughs> famously uh, tragically i cannot explain things quickly and i you know i think it comes across and yeah it's so sad because you know in poetry, this idea of an economy of words and really carefully choosing words is very important. I think it's just something that probably I will continue to evolve in, but yeah, I feel like I do tend to overwrite and I'm, I'm trying to get better about really not repeating things unnecessarily and being a bit more particular. But, but part of it also is like, I don't want to sound like my poems were a bunch of words I picked out out of a thesaurus mm -hmm. I want them to sound like real language that people use yeah. and so I tend to aim more towards simple language like everyday language and that's quite important to me um, but also sometimes it makes, makes me a bit insecure and wonder if my work is not as sort of elegant you know or elevated mm. as some other work but I think that there's definitely an and in between and you can still be specific and original and moving with simple language and you can yeah. still be nice with simple language as well so i'm trying i'm trying to figure out how to do all this 100 that's a really good point yeah i i hate reading things where it sounds like oh someone got a thesaurus for christmas <sighs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it also makes me think about uh, you and I. The first draft of that, then, if you're not very concise, must have been, you know, like a novel, and you've managed to chisel it down well, to six minutes. So that that is quite concise. I feel like that poem actually is a good example of like when I started writing poems again to prepare for slams. Mm -hmm. um, I did a slam last year with a 90 second time limit, which is crazy. Like for me, you can imagine how painful it was. Yeah. And um, I sort of half got around it by just speaking really, really, really fast. <laughs> but it made me realize, wow, you know, there are so many things you can cut out. Actually, I asked for advice. Like I think I just posted on Twitter asking friends who do slams for advice. And my friend Anna Paz, who is one of the poets that I met at Glastonbury, who's just an extraordinary person. She gave me such good advice, which was basically, if you have such a short amount of time, focus more on rhythm and sound and also just cut out anything that's not serving the story, essentially, that's not like a forward moving thing, that's... especially if you only have 90 seconds. And it's usually very painful for me to cut, yeah. cut stuff out, you know, but it was such good advice. And once I, once I put those goggles on and was mm -hmm. like, okay, mm -hmm. 
do what Anna says. It was so much easier to get rid of things and realize, oh, the poem not only works just as well, it works actually better. Yeah. So I think, I think you and I probably also could be much shorter, but it's fine. You know, it is what it is now. But yeah. I've got, I've got <laughs> my, my friend Adam is scriptwriter, and I've shown him a few poems before and he immediately went, right, that first stanza can go. And you're like, ah, oh, what? Right. <laughs> what stanza? And then you're like, yeah, actually, that's pretty good. Ad. Yeah, cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I exactly. fully appreciate that. You yeah. just mentioned Slam there as well. Like Slam, something I've spoke to about uh, with a lot of the poets that come on. Yeah, it, it, it can get a really bad name, and it can also get a really positive uh, mm. sort of reception. Uh, I'm taking it for your poetry career. Slam's a good thing that you've got been involved in. I have only actually done a couple of slams, so probably way fewer than a lot of my peers I would say mm. it's not my favorite thing but I think I mean there's definitely absolutely value to it and I yeah. think that the fun they're fun to go to and it's really cool because as everyone says they bring people in because it's a way of you know making poetry really exciting and entertaining and the thing is that I believe poetry can be entertaining even if it's not in a slam format so I think that once people do go to a show especially the kinds of the kind of work that I like and what I try to do, I try to really entertain the audience. So um, once you see something like that, if you were maybe slightly hesitant about spoken word before, just didn't know what to expect, I think then people are much more into it once they actually experience it. Yeah, it's so a good slam starting is point. Kind of, yeah, slam is kind of the starting point for people where they go, oh, okay, sure, I'll give it a try. And then yeah. they're like, wow, this is actually cool. Like poems can actually be really funny, really thrilling, really sexy, really sad. Like they can really move you in all of these different ways, just like any kind of, you know, theater show or comedian can. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for that, Slam is great. I think just for me, I don't like the time limit thing because part of it is that when you have a bunch of people writing about things and all of them have to be three minutes or less which is the typical slam time limit i think you just lose a lot of space for nuance so i i joked i think well it's not a joke i think you and i could be a shorter piece but could it be three minutes like i think you would lose so much of this kind of back and forth conflict and really yeah. delving so deep into all of the different ways that these questions manifest in a relationship and these different experiences. And when you cut out those small things that seem superfluous, you know, I think you do lose something. You lose like a feeling about this poem and then you're left with, unfortunately, what can happen is you're left with a lot of pieces that kind of operate like pop songs. Like my teacher Kip always said this, that a lot of slam work is like watching American Idol where, you know, the singer has to hit the highest high note and the deepest low note, you know, and like f hit this full range within three minutes and make everybody cry. And it's very emotional. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you're out. And um, yeah. And so you end up with a lot of stuff that kind of sounds the same, but it's not all, all true by any means. Like there are, amazing pieces within three minutes and i think for a lot of poets it's like me as well it's a good challenge to try mm. to see what you can actually pack into that time but i definitely in general would just rather see a great poet do their work for like 20 30 minutes and share whatever pieces whatever time length you know 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a nice way of looking at, at slam. So I think uh, to wrap up the the writing process sort of yeah. things that I was gonna ask you, I'm putting you on the spot, but you know, I'm talking to a poet who's uh, had her work well, I'm, we've not even mentioned the Times, have we? But you know, you got into the Times newspaper <laughs> that which is a big deal, but you've played Glastonbury, you you know, you've got stuff yeah. on various publications. And there's people I know that listen to the, you know, the podcasts like myself who are you writing but not not necessarily putting it out there possibly because they don't know how to what what do you wish someone perhaps had told you earlier is there one sort of piece of advice either to do with writing or to do with how to be quote unquote successful uh, within poetry is there something that stuck with you one thing you wish you'd known earlier that's such a good question and especially now that I'm teaching a lot I, I think I'm thinking about these things much more and I think that also I've learned so much just in the last two years getting back into this world and so I'm kind of eager to like share this knowledge with people because I think whatever kind of art you're interested in before you get in especially when you're a very young person you it sort of feels like there's this curtain this like mysterious curtain and you don't know what's behind the curtain and you don't know how to enter in even Mm especially when it comes to anything in the arts, it's such a strange path because there's not really a path laid out for you. It's not like going to school to become a lawyer or a doctor or an accountant where you know you study for X amount of years, then you get this job, that leads to this job, that leads to this job. It's not like that. And people have such wildly different paths and experiences, but it's also something super exciting. Like I love the idea I didn't think that, I didn't know that poetry was going to like happen to me in this way that it has in the last year, you know, Mm. and I'm just going with it. So I think that's the big thing I would tell people, go with it. You can have many ideas of what you want to do in your life. Nothing is going to happen the way that you're imagining it. Like I can tell you this right away, you know, it's not a bad thing either because beautiful, surprising experiences then have room to happen when you let go and when you're willing to like ride that wave so that's a big thing don't be too concerned about the end result or goals like just do the thing that you enjoy doing um a big 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 learning uh process for me or i'm not sure how to say this but something i I learned a lot from was actually WTF, the podcast done by Mark Marin in the US. And what I love about it is that he talks to so many different kinds of performers and artists, many different people, um, not just comedians. And he really goes through like very similar to what you're doing with poets, <laughs> which I think is why it's so cool and so valuable. And I just like burn through all of the episodes because it's Thank really you. super interesting, you know? Yeah. So he's doing a similar thing and he takes them from oh, what were you doing as a kid, to where they are now. And so you hear these wild kind of stories, but everybody's story is like that. It has weird twists, you know? The number of people working in the film industry, for example, who had art degrees and actually wanted to be painters and stuff like that. Like, it's it's not something I'm making up. It's like really a weird number of people. So I think if you're creatively inclined, you just kind of, you know, go towards wherever, wherever there's something for you, whatever fits at the moment. And it's constantly changing and it's something to embrace rather than to fight against. So I think that's absolutely the biggest thing. 
And to get more specific about poetry, because I feel like all of that advice is very esoteric in a way, yeah. um, just go with it, just enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the ride. Um, you know, for people who are really, really wanting to be published writers and stuff like that, I would say don't underestimate the power of literary magazines and sending your work out. It's something that um, can take a long time and I think can be discouraging especially I don't know when I was when I was in college I submitted to a lot of magazines and didn't get accepted anywhere like uh, the only place that would publish me was I think my college zines that were being made by people I knew yeah. um, and I think that's kind of how it goes at the beginning when you're 22 and you feel like you have so much to say and you're already maybe you've already put four years or maybe more into your craft it feels like why isn't this happening for me yet and i want it you know does this mean that i'm terrible should i give up but i'm now 28 and i have so many years of doing this under my belt and i'm still like so far from being as good of a writer as i want to be and so just like have patience as well with yourself with the process keep submitting. I know that one of your one of your interviewees said something about collecting rejections and I have kind of a similar feeling about yeah, it. Yeah, Rachel I Lewis, think, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's such a good attitude and um she says it really well and that's like quite a good kind of goal of collecting let's say 50 rejections, but for me I just submit to lots of stuff. I don't necessarily count them, but I do track everything also so that for my own sanity so I can organize. When I, one cool thing I find about submitting poetry for publication is it actually takes quite a long time to hear back. Like it's taken sometimes upwards of a year for me mm -hmm. to hear back from a literary magazine. That's just part of how the publication world works. And when I hear something back, I'm always far enough removed from the initial moment and excitement of sending it that when I get the response, even if it's a negative response, I'm really excited. I'm super happy to have something in my inbox and it feels like progress to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, I think that's also partially just my mindset and how I work. Like I really like stuff like that. So it feels good for me to submit to a bunch of things and put them out into the world and just see what comes back. But the more that you basically are willing to try, you can never with anything that you're marketing for example you can never say oh this is the thing that's going to get someone's attention it's going to work this time i'm going to go viral this time whatever what you do have control over though is the amount of stuff that you put out there and that you just keep being prolific and keep writing and keep submitting yeah and submit to stuff that nece doesn't necessarily feel like I've also gotten accepted by journals where I was like, oh, okay. And then I look up the journal more. I'm like, oh, wait, this is actually a really important journal. <laughs> you know, where I wasn't really even paying. That sounds horrible. I hope no one holds this against me. But because I just try to submit a lot so that it, I get over the, yeah. the, you know, that feeling, the worry about it. Just, you know, do more and then your skin gets thicker as well. And then, yeah, then you it doesn't hurt so much to get a no. But it does take time. And eventually, the more you get accepted, it's just true that more people kind of take your work seriously. Like, at least that seems to be how it works. And the more, um, yeah, within the publishing world, you know, spoken word is slightly different. You don't have to be published, obviously. You mm. just have to go and do your work and perform a lot and... I think networking has a really big 
part to do with this as well. Like definitely going out and meeting people. And then yeah. you could end up with a haiku in the times. Yeah. Which, okay. Yes. Can I explain the story? Yeah. <laughs> because it's so odd. <laughs> Cause it, I mean, even here in uh, an Austrian American living in Berlin has got a haiku in the very British, the Times. So that's a, yes. it's an amazing which, combo. My Anglophile heart is so delighted. I can't <laughs> even tell you. Yeah, I so basically Liv Tork, who is an amazing poet as well. Uh, she's a spoken word artist and runs the stage at WOMAD and just involved in lots of really cool stuff. She was a poet at Glastonbury as well. So mm-hmm. I met her last year in this cohort of lovely people um, living behind the stage. And yeah, I mean, her work is really powerful. I especially would recommend checking out The Human Emergency. It's very moving and makes me cry every time I listen to it. Uh, But anyway, so Liv decided in this time of corona panic to ask people to describe how they're feeling in the form of haikus, but she's calling them high flus. High flu. Very good. Um, Yes. So she put out a call, I think just on her Facebook originally, and then eventually on Twitter and more publicly. And the responses were so good that she took um, 25 of them and put them together into a film. And a friend of hers, Richard Monks, I believe was his name, did the music for it. And then Poetry Day, the organization in England, uh, got a hold of this and did a write-up about it. And uh, eventually got to the desk of someone at the Times. And my poem was printed in the this, you know, snippet about it. But the reason is really because my poem was paired with a very cute picture of a dog looking out of a window. <laughs> and that, so that picture was sort of the thumbnail. So I think that's the main thing. I mean, right. it's it's a funny poem, but it's very silly. It's about porridge. I was gonna say porridge is quite a quite a British thing anyway as well. So they probably probably that helps. Yes. Well, okay. I actually, I have to thank Liv for this too, because originally I wrote it as oatmeal, which is also two syllables. So it worked in the haiku. And then she said something about changing to porridge. And I was like, yeah, you're right. It sounds better as well. (laughs) Porridge sounds better. So anyway, I ended up with this porridge from, and then I was on the phone with someone for a while the other morning and got off, had all these texts from a friend of mine who's from Essex. And she sent me a screenshot of this, or not a screenshot, but a picture from the newspaper and said, is this you? (laughs) Because her mom was reading the paper at home and came across it and recognized my name. So if not for that, I don't know if we would have even known that it happened, you know? Amazing. Yeah, poetry. So like I said, weird things happen like this and just, just go with it, you know, just like, yeah put your work out there you never know (laughs) (laughs) so a question as you've heard i normally end with and i think you've sort of answered it through talking to you especially for yourself i mean um writing seems to have been a way to bring yourself closure to to help you with mental health and to to really express things but in your opinion why is it do you feel people uh, turn to poetry in times of need? Is this sort of the underlying thing that, that I ask all the poets? Because I do feel, especially now with this coronavirus, there's a, a lot going on virtually. Uh, and I think a lot of people are turning to writing as a sort of outlet because there's not, yeah. not much else you can do now. 
why do you think poetry people turn to poetry in your opinion yeah i think that poetry is appealing maybe you know as opposed to reading novels or longer works because simply because they're so short and so accessible you get a lot of bang for your buck with a poem you know <laughs> yeah and when i think about myself as like a uh, i don't know high schooler kind of wandering around barnes and nobles in the poetry section you can do that like you can stand and just grab an anthology out, flip to a random page, read something that blows your mind open and then put it back. And like, you you don't waste a lot of time on things that aren't interesting to you. You can really key in on the poets you like and the work that moves you. And yeah, poems are more shareable, you know, that's kind of part of the world as well that we live in now. And yeah, so I think that's that's partially why. But I think also the language around poems, you know, even with very specific language and things like that, and all these things that I think add up to creating memorable images and poems that are really powerful. I think um, poems remain this kind of writing that's still very porous in a way, and mm. you can really enter into a poem and feel yourself in a poem and see yourself reflected in a poem you feel spoken to by a poem and I think that's hard to achieve as much as you might relate to a character in a novel or the story of a novel and love it and feel you know very invested in those people it feels like this thing that's quite set whereas a poem feels like something that is malleable and that can shape to you it's I, I hesitate to use this um, comparison because I think it's not everybody's cup of tea, but it's a little bit like when you read, you know, an astrological <laughs> chart or something yeah. and it's giving you advice and you're like, wow, that relates, that is exactly true about me. <laughs> I think poems kind of can do that for people. There's this kind of mysticism around them. Yeah. Well, there's yeah. probably probably a lot more truth in the poetry than there is the uh, astrological. I hope so. Yes, <laughs> I think so. And hope I think probably a lot more work also involves. Uh... So what's left to ask me there? Are you in the UK again soon? I mean, that's probably a silly question at this moment. Oh, so sad. <laughs> You're hurting me. <laughs> Were you due was, back back over? I was here? supposed to be. Um, unfortunately, I actually was supposed to be starting a tour in Ireland on the 26th of this month of this weekend oh cry i've opened wounds there haven't i yeah it's quite sad um and i would have been in scotland as part of this for um sonnet youth shows in may mid-may but we did do an online thing so people can find that also sonnet youth is doing a lot of like regular really nice little feature shows that are about an hour long they're lovely they usually have a musician and a comedian as well so it's a nice mix you know mm, yeah for the non-poetry diehards um i'm not sure when i'll be back i i guess a lot depends on everything that's happening in the world i well actually i might be in ireland for a festival there's something that's supposed to happen in sligo at the beginning of june but i like i said i don't really know if it's possible by then that i'll be yeah. able to travel maybe it will happen online a lot of the festivals and things that i was supposed to be involved in are happening online and if people are interested they can definitely check out my website which is just my first name and my last name demianter.com and i try to link to everything there but yeah i don't know we'll see i would love to be able to do this tour at a different time but also i have some kind of 
I don't know, upcoming life changes and things. So I'm not sure if it's going to be possible to do it, let's say in September when things are maybe more open or not. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure I will be back eventually. I really hope, you know. If it's any consolation, I was supposed to be going to Berlin in uh, July. So that's probably probably not going to happen now. Oh, man. Well, let me know when you're in town. I would love to get a proper pint and pretend that we're... (laughs) Yeah, if I go to Berlin, we will have a Berliner Pilsner. That's that's yeah, people out there. That's quite nice. Yeah, exactly. definitely. I look you up. A horrible question to end on, but I have to ask, mainly because I'm being selfish for myself. You know, poets we should be reading, especially as you're in the Berlin sort of scene or area. Who, who perhaps are, that I wouldn't have heard of or our listeners? There are so many people. There, there always is, and you're and probably going to offend. Hope, but I don't forget anybody. <laughs> I mean, I mentioned a couple already, so definitely Walt Liftorg in England with her um, with the High Flu project. Check that out. Anna Paz. Anna's actually based between London and Leicester, so I think you should absolutely talk to her. She's an incredible human, such a powerful performer, and really became like a close friend in this very short amount of time. So someone I obviously feel very special about. What, what was her name? To. Sorry? Anna Paz, P-A-Z. Cool. And um, she's on Instagram and everything like that. Here in Berlin, uh, I have my friend Ariel Cottingham, who was a slam champion in Australia and is originally from Texas. She's incredible. Um, I also would mention probably some poets in Ireland. So I'm, I've actually performed a lot more in Ireland than I have in the UK. And um, the scene there has been super embracing towards me. And it also happened just like everything else, kind of in a random way. But yeah. now I feel like I know really incredible poets there and it's sort of become a home away from home. So Aaron Fornoff, who's also um, American, but now has an Irish citizenship after living there many years. She's incredible. Uh, there's a great sort of new group called the Off Key Collective, made up of like really wonderful people, Emmett O'Brien, um, Hazel Hogan, uh, the poet Jeff, uh, super, super sweet, wonderful people. In, uh, oh, more of a page poet, but I really love Kevin Higgins' works. It's H-I-G-G-I-N-S. He's just like, you know, totally, yeah, my kind of poetry. Like when you read something, you're like, I wish that I had written this. Um, So good. And then uh, a few Scottish poets as well. Iona Lee was on the Sonnet Youth um, chat that I did last week. And it was actually my first time seeing her work, but I was very, very moved by it i think it's it's really different it really stood out to me and um also Layla josephine who's another glasgow poet she did a show at fringe last year where she's in drag as her father and <laughs> it was incredible <laughs> that, sound, that does sound amazing <laughs> it was so good and i love i mean people who managed to yeah i really would like to do more theater performance as well so i'm also really I love seeing poets who are doing this kind of stuff and really telling kind of longer stories with their work. So for mm. me, that was like creme de la creme. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so much. It's been a lot of fun for uh, chatting to us. Yes, thank you, Joey. Where, where can people, you said your website, demianta.com. Where else can people find yes. you? Instagram? Yes, I'm, I'm very into Instagram. Instagram, <laughs> Twitter. What are your I'm handles? Twitter, I'm on Twitter. Instagram is anterdemi. And Twitter is Demi Anter. 
Um, and uh, I'm actually about to launch a Patreon for the first time as well. So um, look out for that. I think, I'm not sure when you're planning on sharing this, but probably it will be out by the end of this month. So yeah. I'm guessing it will be out there by the time that people hear this. And I'm really excited about this. Um, I thought about doing it for many years and I just never knew really what I could offer to people. But now mm. that I'm doing more teaching, I'm definitely incorporating the teaching into it. So people who are interested in maybe having kind of a regular writing group kind of atmosphere can check that out. People who want one-on-one -on -one feedback as well on work and also, you know, just anything and everything performances and yeah, all of the new, you know, pamphlets and stuff I put together will be available there as well. So I'm quite Wicked. Definitely yeah. check that out. And like I said, the end of dance, good little read. So check that out. And there's links to everything, all the poems we've mentioned, the uh, links on your yeah. site as well. So definitely go check that out. Demi, thank you very much. Yes. Thank you so much, Demi. This episode's poetry recital comes from Demi, of course, who kindly recited one of the poems we spoke about during our conversation. This is Demi Anta. Did you hear about mum? Did you hear about mom? Did you hear about the time mom danced all night in Prague? She was in love with a saxophone player and by proxy, all saxophone players. Jazz made her feel alive and warm even as the snow fell on cobbled roads and she and Paulina left faint trails with their boots on wet stones. There's a video, you know the one. Mom struts through the empty streets sheds her gloves, throws her raincoat to the floor. There are more, 35 millimeter scans from the trip to Lanzarote where she slept in a blood red yurt, feeling the color would soothe her yearning heart and hiked across black rocks while waves crashed, her mustard dress flapping wild, white Adidas ash caked. The route brought her to a lava cave, lavish and romantic where she ate alone and listened to, you guessed it, saxophone. There are photos from home, velvet coat and orange scarf draped just so, clearly hung over in last night's patent leather shoes, full of style, the year she worked for the fast fashion conglomerate and nearly stayed on just to stock her wardrobe, the year she almost killed herself, ideating, calculating force, F equals M times A, where M is mass and A, acceleration, of trams and trains and small German automobiles. She was glad she hadn't killed herself the night she met the guy who looked like David Bowie with decent coke and a perfect body and a grin she swears to God could make the Sahara Desert wet. There aren't pictures of that, but... There's a film from mom's first trip to Italy. She's on the back of Aunt Lisa's Vespa, hair flying and helmet shiny pink. Mom was glad then she hadn't jumped in front of the train in Milan. Mom was glad a lot, even in her Laurie Anderson post Lou Reed melancholy, her splintered phone screen days, her delayed flights and summer lakeside breakup despair, truth searching, lobster red sunburn, blame it on the mushrooms days. Mom was glad at Schloss Schönbrunn to have no one else to care for, to stroll the grounds at her leisure, to wear a red beret. And in Venice, to celebrate her own birth without witness, to celebrate by crying in cathedrals and smiling at the boats, 
Mom trusted strangers and floated through house parties and often chose to walk the last blocks home to talk to herself, to commit to memory. Mom did a lot of things you wouldn't believe, thought a lot of thoughts she wouldn't dare repeat, but she did write it all down. I realised when I introduced that poem, I said mum in a very English manner. I thought just like freckles in German, I probably shouldn't attempt the American for mum, the M-O-M. I'd do it some injustice. As we're all stuck indoors, we've upped our social media game and we've been overwhelmed with the responses we've had so far. So thank you to all of you that get involved weekly. We've got our weekly writing challenges happening in which you could be the lucky winner of one of our coveted People's Poetry Podcast badges as well as our poem of the week for you to read too. A massive thank you as always to you at home for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, please do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram at People's Poetry Podcast, over on Twitter at people underscore poetry. You can find us on Facebook, People's Poetry Podcast. I'm on Twitter, jbo, that's jbo pens poems. And you can email us if you want to get involved with the show, if you're a poet yourself and you'd like to sit down and chat, or if social media just don't cut the mustard and you want to get in touch, it's people's poetry podcast at hotmail.com. 